Chapter Eleven of Ticonderoga by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. With great pain, Lord H contemplated the task before him, but his was a firm and resolute heart, and he strode forward quickly to accomplish it as soon as possible. Fancy painted as he went all the grief and anguish he was about to inflict upon Edith, but Fancy hardly did her justice for it kept out of the picture many of the stronger and finer traits of her character the beautiful girl was watching from the window and at once recognized her lover as he issued from the wood alone her heart sank with apprehension it is true but nevertheless she ran out along the little path to meet him in order to know the worst at once before they met slowly and heavily her father came forth from the wood with a crowd of boatmen and soldiers following in groups of six or seven at a time, and with wonderful accuracy she divined the greater part of what had occurred. She instantly stopped till Lord H. came up, and then inquired in a low and trembling voice, "'Have you found him? Is he dead or living?' "'We have not found him, dear Edith,' said Lord H., taking her hand and leading her towards the house." but your father conceives there is great cause for apprehension of this very worst kind from what we have found i trust however that his fears go beyond the reality and that there is still oh dear george do not keep me in suspense said edith let me hear all at once my mind is sufficiently prepared by long hours of painful thought i will show none of the weakness i displayed this morning what is it you have found his knife and his knapsack replied lord h he may have cast it off from weariness said edith catching at a hope i fear not replied her lover unwilling to encourage expectations to be disappointed the straps of the knapsack were cut not unbuckled and your father has given himself up entirely to despair although we found no traces of strife or bloodshed poor walter said edith with a deep sigh but she shed no tears and walked on in silence till they had reached the little veranda of the house then suddenly she stopped roused herself from her fit of thought and said raising her beautiful and tender eyes to her lover's face i have now two tasks before me to which i must give myself up entirely to console my poor father and to try to save my brother's life forgive me george if in executing these especially the latter I do not seem to give you as much of my thoughts as you have a right to. You would not, I know, have me neglect either. God forbid, said Lord H. warmly, but let me share in them, Edith. There is nothing within the scope of honour and of right that I will not do to save your brother. I sent him on this ill-starred errand. To gratify me was that unfortunate expedition made through the wood but it is enough that he is your brother and your father's son and i will do anything undertake anything if there be still a hope go to your father first my love and then let us consult together i will see these men attended to for they want rest and food and i must take liberties with your father's house to provide for them do do she answered use it as your own and leaving him in the veranda she turned to meet her father for the time edith knew well mr prevost's mind was not likely to receive either hope or consolation all she could give him was tenderness 
and Lord H., who followed her to speak with the soldiers and boatmen, soon saw her disappear into the house with Mr. Prevost. When he returned to the little sitting-room, Edith was not there, but he heard the murmur of voices from the room above, and in about half an hour she rejoined him. She was much more agitated than when she left him, and her face showed marks of tears. Not that her fears were greater, or that she had heard anything to alarm her more, but her father's deep despair had overpowered her own firmness. All the weaker affections of human nature are infectious. Fear, despair, dismay, and sorrow peculiarly so. Edith still felt, however, the importance of decision and action, and putting her hand to her head with a look of bewilderment, she stood for an instant in silence, with her eyes fixed on the ground, seemingly striving to collect her scattered thoughts in order to judge and act with precision. "'One of the boatmen, Edith,' said Lord H., leading her to a seat, "'has led me to believe that we shall have ample time for any efforts to serve your brother, "'if he has, as there is too much reason to fear, "'fallen into the hands of these revengeful Indians. "'The man seems to know well what he talks of, "'and boasts that he has been accustomed to the ways and manners of the savages since boyhood.' "'Is he a tall, handsome man with two beautiful children?' asked Edith. "'He is a tall, good-looking man,' answered Lord H., "'but his children I did not see. "'If he be the man I mean, he can be fully depended upon,' answered Edith, "'and it may be well to ask his opinion and advice before he goes. "'But for the present, George, let us consult alone. "'Perhaps I can judge better than you of poor Walter's present situation.' that is first to be considered and then what are the chances what the means of saving him he is certainly in the hands of the indians of that i have no doubt but i think black eagle knew it when he guided us through the forest yet i do not think that he would willingly lift the tomahawk against my brother it will be at the last extremity when all means have failed of entrapping that unhappy man brooks we shall have time yes we shall certainly have time then the first step to be taken said lord h will be to induce the government to make a formal and imperative demand for his release i will undertake that part of the matter it shall be done at once edith shook her head sadly you know them not she said it would only hurry his fate and after dropping her voice to a very low tone she added they would negotiate and hold councils and walter would be slain while they were treating she pressed her hands upon her eyes as she spoke, as if to shut out the dreadful image her words called up, and then there was a moment or two of silence, at the end of which Lord H. inquired if it would not be better for him to see Sir William Johnson and consult with him. "'That may be done,' said Edith. "'No man in the province knows them as well as he does, and his advice may be relied upon. But we must take other measures, too. A tater must be told and consulted.' "'Do you know, George,' she added, with a melancholy smile, "'I have lately been inclined at times to think that there is no small love between Walter and the Blossom, "'something more than friendship, at all events.' "'But of course she will hear of his capture, and do the best she can to save him,' replied the young nobleman. "'Edith shook her head, answering, "'Save him she will, if any human power can do it. "'But that she knows of his capture, I much doubt.' "'These Indians are wise, George, as they think, "'and never trust their acts, their thoughts, "'or their resolutions to a woman.' 
They will keep the secret from a tater just as Black Eagle kept it from me. But she must be informed, consulted, and perhaps acted with. Then I think, too, that poor man Woodchuck should have tidings of what his act has brought upon us. I see not well, said Lord H., what result that can produce. Nor I, answered Edith, but yet it ought to be done in justice to ourselves and to him. He is bold, skilful, and resolute, and we must not judge of any matter in this country as we should judge in Europe. He may undertake and execute something for my brother's rescue, which you and I would never dream of. He is just the man to do so, and to succeed. He knows every path of the forest, every lodge of the Indians. He is friendly with many of them, and saved the lives of some of them, I have heard him say, and conferred great obligations upon others, and I believe that he will never rest till he has delivered Walter. "'Then I will find him out, and let him know the facts directly,' said Lord H., Perhaps he and Otatsa may act together, if we can open any communication with her. She will act by herself and for herself, I am sure, replied Edith, and some communication must be opened at any and all risk. But let us see this man, George. Perhaps he may know someone going into the Indian territory who may carry a letter to her. It is a great blessing she can read and write, for we must have our secrets too, if we would frustrate theirs. Lord H. rose and proceeded to the hall, where the men whom he had brought with him were busily engaged in dispatching such provisions as Mr. Prevost's house could afford on the spur of the moment. The man he sought for was soon found, and when he had eaten the morsel almost between his teeth, he followed the young nobleman into the lesser room, and was soon in full conference with Edith and her lover. He again expressed the opinion that no harm would happen to young Walter Prevost for some months at the least. They have caught someone, he said, to make sure of their revenge, and that is all they wanted for the present. Now they will look for the man that did it, and catch him if they can. Can you tell where he is to be found? asked Lord H. in a quiet tone. Why, you would not give him up to them, said the man sharply. Certainly not, replied Lord H. He is in safety, and of that safety I have no right to deprive him. It would make me an accessory to their act. "'but I wish to see him, to tell him what has occurred, "'and to consult him as to what is to be done.' "'That is a very different case,' replied the man gravely, "'and if that's all you want, I don't mind telling you "'that he is in Albany at the public house of the three boatmen. "'Our people who wrote him down said he did not intend "'to leave Albany for a week or more.' "'And now, Robert,' said Edith, "'can you tell me where I can get a messenger to the Oneidas?' I know you loved my brother, Walter, and I think if you can get somebody to go for me, we may save him. I did indeed love him well, Miss Prevost, replied the stout man, with his hard, firm eye moistening, and I'd do anything in reason to save him. It's a sad thing we did not know of this yesterday, for there was a half-breed Onondaga runner passed by and got some milk from us, and I gave him the panther skin which you told some of our people to send, my lord, in the poor lad's name to the daughter of the old chief Black Eagle. Edith turned her eyes to her lover's face, and Lord H. replied to their inquiring look, saying, It is true, Edith. Walter shot a panther in the woods, and wished to send the skin to Otetsa. We had no time to lose at the moment, but as we came back I induced the guides to skin it, 
and made them promise to dry and send it forward by the first occasion. "'I strapped it on his back myself,' said the man, whom Edith called Robert, "'and gave him the money you sent for him too, my lord. "'He would have taken my message readily enough, and one could have trusted him. "'But it may be months before such another chance offers, I guess. "'Look here, Miss Edith,' he continued, turning toward her with his face full of earnest expression. "'I would go myself, but what would come of it? "'They would only kill me instead of your brother.' "'for one man is as good as another to them in such cases, "'and perhaps he mightn't get off either. "'But I have a wife and two young children, ma'am, "'and that makes me not quite so ready to risk my life "'as I was a few years ago.' "'It is not to be thought of,' said Edith calmly. "'I could ask no one to go but one at least partly of their own race, "'for it must be the blood of a white man they spill, I know. "'All I can desire you to do is, for Master Walter's sake, and mine to seek for one of the indian runners who are often about albany and about the army and send him up to me you see miss prevost replied the man there are not so many about as there used to be for it is coming on winter and as to the army when lord loudon took it to halifax almost all the runners and scouts were discharged some of them remained with webb it is true but a number of those were killed and scalped by montcalm's hurons However, I will make it my business to seek one, night and day, and send him up. "'Let it be someone on whom we can depend,' said Edith, "'someone whom you have tried and can trust.' "'That makes it harder still,' said the man, "'for though I have tried many of them, I can trust few of them. However, I will see, and not be long about it either. But it would be quite nonsense to send you a man who might either never do your message at all or go and tell those you don't want to hear it. It would indeed, said Edith sadly, as all the difficulties and risks which lay in the way of success were suggested to her by the man's words. Well, do your best, Robert, she said at length, after some thought, and as you will have to pay the man, here is the money for— You can pay him yourself, ma'am, replied the boatman bluntly. "'As for taking any myself for helping poor Master Walter, that's what I won't do. "'When I've got to take an oar in hand or anything of that kind, "'I make the people pay fast enough what my work is worth. "'Perhaps a little more sometimes,' he added with a laugh. "'But not for such work as this. No, no, not for such work as this. "'So good-bye, Miss Prevost. Good-bye, my lord. "'I won't let the grass grow under my feet in looking for some messenger.' Thus saying, he left the room, and Edith and Lord H. were once more left alone together. Sad and gloomy was their conversation, unchequered by any of those light beams of love and joy which Edith had fondly fancied were to light her future hours. All was dim and obscure in the future, and the point upon which both their eyes turned most intently in the dark, shadowy curtain of coming time, was the murkiest and most obscure of all. Still, whatever plan was suggested, whatever course of action was thought of, difficulties rose up to surround it, and perils presented themselves on all sides. Nor did the presence of Mr. Prevost, who joined them soon after, tend in any degree to support or to direct. He had lost all hope, at least for the time, and the only thing which seemed to afford him a faint gleam of light was the thought of communicating immediately with Brooks. "'I fear Sir William Johnson will do nothing,' he said. "'He is so devoted even to the smallest interests of the government. 
his whole mind is so occupied with this one purpose of cementing the alliance between britain and the five nations that on my life i believe he would suffer any man's son to be butchered rather than risk offending an indian tribe in his position it is very difficult for him to act said lord h but it might be as well to ascertain his feelings and his views by asking his advice as to how you should act yourself counsel he will be very willing to give i am sure and in the course of conversation you might discover how much and how little you may expect from his assistance but you said my dear lord that you were going yourself to albany to-morrow to see poor brooks said mr prevost i cannot leave edith here alone all three mused for a moment or two and edith perhaps the deepest of all at length however she said i am quite safe my father of that i am certain and you will be so i am sure when you remember what i told you of black eagle's conduct to me on that fatal night he threw his blanket around me and called me his daughter depend upon it long ere this the news that i am his adopted child has spread through all the tribes and no one would dare to lift his hand against me i can easily said lord h but edith interrupted him gently saying stay george one moment let my father answer do you not think my dear father that i am quite safe in a word do you not believe that i could go from lodge to lodge as the adopted daughter of black eagle throughout the whole length of the long house of the five nations without the slightest risk of danger and if so why should you fear i do indeed believe you could replied mr prevost oh that we could have extracted such an act from him toward poor walter what edith says is right my lord we must judge these indians as we know them and my only fear in leaving her here now would arise in the risks of incursion from the other side of the hudson lord h mused a little it struck him there was something strange in edith's way of putting the question to her father something too precise too minute to be called for by any of the words which had been spoken it excited nothing like suspicion in his mind for it was hardly possible to look at the face or hear the tones of edith prevost and entertain so foul a thing as suspicion but it made him doubt whether she had not some object high and noble he was sure beyond the immediate point which she did not think as yet to reveal i was about to say he replied at length to the last words of mr prevost that i can easily move a guard up here sufficient to protect the house and i need not tell you my dear sir he continued taking edith's hand as the whole treasure of my happiness is here that i would not advise you to leave her for an hour unless i felt sure she would be safe i will send down by some of the men who are still in the house an order to captain hammond to march a guard here as early as possible to-morrow morning under a trustworthy sergeant as soon as it arrives i will set out for albany and i think you can go to johnson's castle in perfect security so it was arranged and all parties felt no inconsiderable relief when some course of action was thus decided effort in this world is everything even the waters of joy will stagnate and the greatest relief to care or sorrow the strongest in danger or adversity is effort the morning of the following day broke fresh and beautiful there was a bright clearness in the sky a brisk elasticity in the air that had not been seen or felt for weeks everything looked sparkling and sharp and distinct 
distances were diminished woods and hills which had looked dim appeared near and definite and the whole world seemed in harmony with energy and effort the heavy rains of the preceding morning had cleared the loaded atmosphere as tears will sometimes clear the oppressed breast and when lord h and mr prevost mounted their horses to set out it seemed as if the invigorating air had restored to the latter the firmness and courage of which the grief and horror of the preceding day had deprived him edith embraced her father and gave her cheek to the warm touch of her lover's lips and then she watched them as they rode away till the wood shut them out from her sight the soldiers were by this time installed in the part of the house destined for them and some of the negroes were busy in preparing for their accommodation but old agrippa and the gardener boy and a woman servant stood near watching their master and his guests as they departed as soon as the little party was out of sight however edith turned to agrippa saying send chowder to me in the parlour i want to speak with him as soon as the man appeared she gazed at him earnestly saying how far is it to oneida lake chowder have you ever been there oh yes missy often when i was a little boy why you know my father ran away and lived with injuns long time cause he had bad master but injuns cuff him and thump him more nor worse master in the world and so he come back again how far be it oh long way twice so far as johnson castle or more oh yes three times so far edith knew how vague a negro's ideas of distance are and she then put her question in a form which would get her a more distinct answer bethink you chowdo she said how long it would take me to reach the lake how long it would take any one consider it well and let me know you missy you cried the negro in great astonishment you never think of going there i don't know chowdo she replied it might be needful and i wish to know how long it would take dat pend how you go missy replied the man ride so far as johnson castle but can't ride no fadder dem walk as i walk you never do dat and if you do take you five days and walk hard too poor edith's heart sank a takes a walks she said in a desponding tone but it is true she can do much that i cannot do she walk oh dear no missy replied the negro she walked little bit away from what they call wood creek or from de mohawk she walked no farther all the rest she go in canoe sometimes on mohawk sometimes on lake sometimes on creek she came here once in three day i hear old grey buzzard de pipe-bearer say that time when de sachem come with his warriors and can i do the same asked edith eagerly sure you can if you get a canoe answered chowder but oh missy tink of de injuns they kidnap massa walter they kill you too there is no fear chowdo replied edith even my father owns that i could safely go from one lodge to another through the whole land of the five nations because black eagle has put his blanket round me and made me his daughter massa knows best said chowdo but if so why they kidnap massa walter black eagle refused to make him his son or my father his brother said edith with the tears rising in her eyes but the truth is chowder that i go to try if i can save poor walter's life i go to tell the blossom that they hold my walter her walter a prisoner and see whether she cannot find means to rescue him 
"'I see, I see, Missy,' said the man gravely. And then, after pausing for a moment, he asked abruptly, "'I go with you?' "'Someone I must have to show me the way,' replied Edith. "'Are you afraid, Chowdo?' "'Afraid?' cried the man, bursting into a fit of joyous laughter. "'Oh, no, not afraid. Injuns no hurt nigger. Kick him, cuff him, no scalp him, cause nigger got no scalp lock. <laughs> I go help save Massa Walter. I never have no good thing, but he give Chowdo some. Oh, I'll manage all for you. We find plenty canoe, Mohawk canoe, and Ida canoe. If we say you Black Eagle's daughter going to see your sister Otatsa, when you go, Missy. Very soon, Chowdo replied Edith and proceeded to explain her plan to him still farther. She said that she wished to set out that very day, and as soon as possible, in order first to communicate the tidings of Walter's capture to Atatsa without delay, and secondly to save her father as many hours of anxiety as possible. She did not absolutely tell the man that she had not informed her father of her intention, but he divined it well. Nevertheless, when he heard somewhat more at large the conduct of Black Eagle toward her on the night of poor Walter's capture, he was quite satisfied of her safety as far as the Indians were concerned. He urged her, however, to go in the first place to Johnson Castle, where she could procure a canoe, or even a bateau, he felt certain, and it was long before he comprehended her objection to that course. At length, however, his usual, "'I see, I see,' showed that he had caught a light at last, and that he was soon ready with his resources. "'Then we walked to the nearest end of Little Pond, only three mile,' he said, fishing canoe all ready. "'Next we go down Little Pond and de creek into lake. Keep by north side, and then walk to Mohawk, three mile more. I carry canoe across my back. Then, Injun or no Injun, we get along. If Missy like to take other nigger, too, we get on very fast, and he carry bundle.' "'I must have one of the women with me,' said Edith, in a thoughtful tone. "'But which?' The negro's countenance fell a little. He was very proud of the confidence placed in him, and he did not like to share it with a white woman. His tone, then, was rather dejected, though submissive, when he asked, "'Do Missy take white woman Sally with her? "'Sally no walk. "'Sally no run. "'Sally no paddle when Chowdo is tired.' "'No,' replied Edith at once, I can take no white person with me, Chowder, for it would risk her life, and even to save my poor brother I must not lure another into sad peril. One of your colour, Chowder, they will not hurt, for it is a white man's blood they will have for a white man's act. Then take Sister Bab, cried Chowder, rubbing his hands with the peculiar low negro chuckle. Sister Bab walk, run, carry bundle, and twelve paddle with anybody. Now Bab was a stout negro woman of about forty years of age, with a pleasant countenance and very fine white teeth, who rejoiced in the cognomen of sister, though, to the best of Edith's knowledge, she was sister to no one, in the house at least. Her usual occupations were in the farmyard, the dairy, and the pigsty, so that Edith had not seen very much of her, but all that she had seen was pleasant, for Sister Bab seemed continually on the watch to do everything for everybody, receiving every order, even from Master Walter, who was sometimes a little inconsiderate, with a broad, good-humoured grin, and her constant activity and indefatigable energy promised well for an undertaking such as that in which Edith was engaged. 
"'Well, Chado,' said the young lady, "'I do not know that I could make a better choice. "'Send Sister Bab to me, "'for where dangers such as these are to be encountered, "'I will not take any one without her own free consent.' "'Oh, she go, I talk with her,' said Chowder. "'You never trouble yourself, Missy. "'She'll go to the world's end for Miss Edith, "'and fight like devil if, if there be need. "'I never saw a woman so good at catching fish. "'She took them out like cabbages.' "'That may be useful to us, too,' said Edith, with a faint smile. "'But send her to me, nevertheless, Chowder. "'I want to speak with her before I go.' "'The good woman, when she came, made not the slightest objection, "'but on the contrary looked upon the expedition as something very amusing, "'which would give a relief to the tedium of her daily labours, "'and at the same time afford full occupation for her active spirit. "'She was as ready with suggestions as Chowder, told edith everything she had better take with her detailed all her own proposed preparations and even begged for a rifle declaring that she was as good a shot as master walter and had often fired a gun when he had brought it home undischarged edith declined however to have a riflewoman in her train and having told her two chosen attendants that she would be ready in an hour retired to make her preparations and write a few lines to her father and her lover to account for her absence when they returned both letters were brief but we will only look at that which she left for mr prevost my dear father she said i am half afraid i am doing wrong in taking this step i am about to take without your knowledge or approbation but i cannot sit still and do nothing while all are exerting themselves to save my poor brother i feel that it is absolutely necessary to any hope for his safety that a tatzer should be informed immediately of his situation. It may be months before any Indian runner is found, and my poor brother's fate may be sealed. Were it to cost my life, I should think myself bound to go, but I am the only one who can go in perfect safety, for while promising his protection to me and ensuring me against all danger, the Black Eagle refused to give any assurance in regard to others. "'You have yourself acknowledged, my dear father, that I shall be perfectly safe, "'and I have also the advantage of speaking the Indian tongue well. "'In these circumstances, would it not be wrong, "'would it not be criminal in me to remain here idle "'when I have even a chance of saving my poor brother? "'Forgive me, then, if I do wrong, on account of the motives which lead me. "'My course is straight to the Mohawk, by the little pond and the lake, and then up the Mohawk and Wood Creek as far as they will carry me, for I wish to save myself as much fatigue as possible, and I venture to take the canoe from the pond. I have asked Chowdo and Sister Bab to accompany me, as I know you would wish me to have protection and assistance on the way, in case of any difficulty. I hope to be back in six days at the farthest, and if possible I will send a runner to inform you of my safe arrival amongst the Anidas. Once more, my dear father, Think of the great object I have in view, and forgive your affectionate daughter. When these letters were written, Edith dressed herself in full Indian costume, which had been given her by Otezza, and a beautiful Indian maiden she looked, though the skin was somewhat too fair, and her hair wanted the jetty black. In the Indian pouch or wallet she placed some articles of European convenience, and a large hunting-knife and then making up a small package of clothes for Sister Bab to carry, she descended to the lower story. Here, however, she met with some impediments which she had not expected. 
the news of her proposed expedition had spread through the whole household and caused almost an open revolt the white women were in tears old agrippa was clamorous and the fat black cook declared loudly that miss edith was mad and should not go so far indeed did she carry her opposition that the young lady was obliged to assume a stern and severe tone which was seldom heard in edith's voice and to command her to retire at once from her presence the poor woman was at once overawed for her courage was not very permanent and bursting into tears she left the room declaring she was sure she would never see miss edith again edith then gave all the keys of the house to old agrippa with the two letters which she had written chowdo took up the bag of provisions which he had prepared sister bab charged herself with a package of clothes and edith walking between them turned away from her father's house amidst the tears of the white women and a vociferous burst of grief from the negroes her own heart sank for a moment and she asked herself shall i ever pass that threshold again shall i ever be pressed hereafter in the arms of those i so much love but she banished such feelings and drove away such thoughts and murmuring my brother my poor brother she walked on End of chapter 11